Hello, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakali and this is today's Tech Briefing. In this program, and we've understood that technology and the way that we conceptualize products have to go and nudge towards what is the most intuitive and natural way for you know children to learn. And children at two year olds, three year olds are natural learners and they have curiosity and they, they have a love for learning, they want to know more. And, and, and if you can tweak something to kind of really, you know, be able to kind of get them at a personal level interested in something, they respond to that. That's after these headlines. The Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change has issued its strongest warning yet on the impending catastrophe from unmitigated global warming caused by human activity, lending scientific credence to the argument that rising wildfires, heat waves, extreme rainfall and floods witnessed in recent times are all strongly influenced by a change in climate, the Hindu reports. In its latest report, the IPCC's Working Group 1 has called for deep cuts to carbon dioxide emissions and other greenhouse gases and a move to net zero emissions as the world would otherwise exceed 1.5 degrees centigrade and 2 degrees centigrade of warming during the 21st century with permanent consequences. The new report attributes catastrophic events to sustained global warming, particularly the frequency and intensity of hot extremes, marine heat waves, heavy precipitation, agricultural and ecological droughts, proportion of intense tropical cyclones, reductions in Arctic sea ice, snow cover and permafrost. A phenomenon such as heavy rainfall over land, for instance, could be 10.5% wetter in a world warmer by 1.5 degrees centigrade and occur 1.5 times more often compared to the 1850 to 1900 period. Amazon and IT billionaire N.R. Narayan Murthy's private equity company Catamaran are ending a seven-year-old joint venture that owns Cloudtail, one of the largest sellers on Amazon's marketplace in India. Amazon and rival Flipkart, owned by Walmart, are facing intense government scrutiny in India over allegations of favoring certain sellers and other anti-competitive practices. Prion Business Services, the joint venture between Amazon and Catamaran, has been running successfully for the past seven years and is coming up for renewal on May 19, 2022. The two partners have mutually decided to not continue their joint venture beyond the end of its current term, Prion said in a statement yesterday. Apple will have a record year in India with sales of $3 billion for its fiscal year that ends September, Economic Times reports, citing estimates from cyber media research. That would be a 60% jump over the previous fiscal year. India, however, remains a small market for Apple, accounting for about 1% of its global revenues and less than 5% market share in a country totally dominated by Android smartphones from Chinese handset makers and Samsung. Ather Energy, a high-end electric scooter maker in Bangalore, will open source its battery chargers design and specifications in an effort to promote the adoption of a common standard for two-wheeler chargers in India, the company said in a press release. A common standard will help fast-track the development of a public charging network, just as USB charging technology has become standard for most smartphones around the world. Sharing our proprietary charging connector is a big step for having a common connector and hence interoperable chargers for all two-wheelers. At this stage of the category, the industry needs these collaborations and we are already in talks with some OEMs to take this industry collaboration forward, CEO Tarun Mehta said in the release. 
Upgrad, a Bangalore-based startup that specializes in higher education and upskilling courses, hit a valuation of $1.2 billion with a $185 million funding round, the company said in a statement yesterday. Singapore's Temasek led the financing round, while World Bank's International Finance Corporation and IIFL participated. The first tranche of this unnamed round, about $120 million, was completed in April this year at a valuation of over $600 million, according to TechCrunch. Log9 Materials, an advanced battery tech startup in Bangalore, has raised $5 million in funding from Amararaja Batteries in its ongoing Series A Plus funding round, the company said in a press release yesterday. The investment will boost development of indigenous technologies in India's nascent advanced battery sector for fast emerging storage and mobility solutions. While providing an impetus to the research and development work at ongoing projects of Log9, ARBL is expected to be the primary partner for scaling up the manufacturing operations of Log9's battery and fuel cell technologies. Baijus is now one of the world's largest edtech companies and India's most valued startup. In recent times, the company has gone on a blitzkrieg of acquisitions, purchasing rivals in India and expanding its footprint in America. I spoke to Ranjit Radhakrishnan, Chief Product Officer at Baijus, overseeing its transition to an online education technology company over the last six years. Deep personalization of learning is on the horizon, supported by artificial intelligence technologies. Here's more from that conversation. Ranjit, uh, welcome to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this. Uh, I feel, uh, of course, uh, Baijus is now very well known in India. Uh, but I guess uh, for folks who are less familiar with your work, uh, I think a lot of them would love to know more about your own journey as a technologist, two decades plus building products, uh, managing large teams and so on. Uh, perhaps if you could start with uh, you know, your uh, tech adventure over the last uh, 20 years, uh, maybe a sort of a snapshot. Thanks, Ari. I'm very happy to be on the podcast out here with you. Um, yes, I've been on a fantastic journey with uh, with Baijus for the last six years, right? And this has been a period of time where Baijus has grown fantastically. Their tech sector in India itself has transformed uh, in, in various ways, right? And it's been something that we've been taking out, not just out to audience in India, but globally as well. So I've been blessed enough to be part of this journey, came by and joined the company in 2015 when uh, we're making the transformation from being an offline edtech uh, company to an online um, uh, vision kind of coming into the fore. And it's been a fantastic journey where product tech, design, and all the functions that kind of went on to kind of make the technology arm and to kind of give uh, the edtech vision really uh, form and uh, you know muscle kind of came by. Uh, have led products uh, in other places prior to this. I've led products at um, Hike Messenger. I've led products at uh, Zinga India and um, also for uh, certain other startups and uh, large-scale enterprises. So it's been uh, a decade and a half of uh, building products. I've, I've, of course, uh, a trained computer science professional, I've gone the usual route in terms of uh, doing my MBA, but loved building products and um, loved building products for the Indian audience in particular, and also for um, you know being able to take out uh, the product from whatever we conceptualize in India to the foreign market. So that's where my heart kind of lies, and building um, very strong engineering and uh, product teams to make the vision a reality is where I find my calling. 
And that's been, uh, I've been lucky enough to be able to do that at uh, various companies and in particular in Baidu's over the last uh, decade and a half. You, you mentioned uh, earlier on about uh, going from an online uh, model to an online uh, business at uh, Baidu's from the time that you joined. Can you talk about that a bit and give us a sense of uh, what uh, Baidu's uh, platform was like uh, when you joined it? And uh, what has it evolved into today? Yeah. So Baidu's journey has uh, been told many times, it's been very interesting in terms of how Baidu himself as a teacher delivered, you know, learning experiences for large scale audiences, right? And he did that with the intention to be able to transform the way they think about learning, the way that they think about solving problems. And uh, he could clearly see the impact that he kind of made over um, large young minds and be able to kind of, you know, give them the confidence to be able to tackle tough problems. Now, no matter what you do in the offline ecosystem, you're limited by you know, a couple of factors, right? You're limited by the fact that you are in a physical setup. So at any point of time, your teaching or your ability to be able to impact is limited to the physical classroom itself. And you can say, teach a notional classroom of say 60 students or 1000 students, if it's a stadium, but you're still limited by that particular size. And then eventually when you're teaching, and then the realization came by that when you're teaching, uh, you're teaching to a notional average student in the, in the 60 member classroom or 100 member classroom. And at the end of the day, it probably doesn't solve the need specifically for any single given child to the extent that it can be solved for, right? So that with the understanding that there is a lot of uh, gaps in the K-12 space itself where, um, you know, there can be a lot more conceptual clarity and foundational understanding that can be built among students. And more than anything else, uh, instead of learning being something that they kind of, you know, fear or, or, or where exams and everything else is kind of drilled into their minds, young minds, uh, we should be preparing them for uh, lifelong learning. If that means we need to kind of invoke, uh, you know, curiosity and love for learning within students. And with these realizations and these insights is where uh, Baiju crafted out the vision for uh, the company itself. And that's what most of us who have come by here to kind of make that a reality have kind of looked up to, right? So the initial journey uh, when we kind of transformed from offline to online was to kind of visualize how some of these experiences, like I said, access to the best of the teachers can be provided at large scale. How can we make it relevant for children? Because in India, it's really fragmented. Uh, you have CBSE, you have ICSE, you have many syllabus um, and many curriculums that are being practiced, but learning is universal in nature. So how do you kind of use a common framework to be able to kind of cater to any curriculum, any syllabus in the very optimal fashion, and how can the best teachers deliver that content? Then formats, right? So with, where we kind of spoke about how video format and engaging interactive video format, interactive questions, games, and various ways in terms of um, the paradigms that you have for learning can be employed to kind of do that. So what we started doing uh, when we went, when we kind of transformed our company from being, um, you know, offline to online, the groundwork was being laid for a few years prior to that itself. Content was being made, the pedagogy team and the curriculum team worked on it for a long period of time. And 2015 is when we kind of launched our online app and we put out the vision of an online um, uh, learning app, which kind of, you know, helps you learn your concepts exactly mapped to how it has been taught in your specific syllabus and curriculum and in engaging formats. We empower children to come by and to take control of the learning process because largely it's been a lot of spoon feeding. Hey, come by here. This is the pace at which we can teach you in a classroom, do that. But now we've handed over the controls to the children. 
because they feel that how they're empowered because they can figure out okay i need to kind of learn now i am guided but then this is still something that i am empowered to kind of take an action on and once the formats are kind of being thrown in front of me it's so engaging it's so captivating that like my natural curiosity is getting built and if i need to improve on specific areas if i know need to know what my areas uh, i don't need to worry about too much that is all given to me as very actionable insights right so this is a framework that we kind of built out in 2015 2016 starting itself and that has led the foundation for you know as always being on the side of students and students enjoying the products that we build uh, and really kind of welcoming the online form of learning right so that's what happened in 2016 uh, and then we've been growing you know from strength to strength in terms of adding a lot more elements adding a lot more features and and working closely with our students to be able to evolve the app itself in a way that really impacts them very positively hmm. uh, give us a sense of uh... what you do at your technology center today also in the context of uh, you know the the big problems in education and learning that you're trying to solve uh, with uh, a lot of technology sure we are organized in a very empowering fashion uh, internally hari uh, so the way that uh, most of our teams are organized are in the form of pods uh pods are cross functional teams so, so to make an impact in their tech space and to build very interesting content and features all of these teams cross functional teams need to work together and i'm talking about a cross functional team which is as diverse as technology folks and um your back end operations folks to your product managers and designers and even learning design right because when you're building interactive content you need game designers and learning designers then you have people who form make the media team who form fantastic videos transform the pedagogy into really compelling visuals and learning paths and of course our curriculum team and the pedagogy team so a large set of cross functional folks come together to kind of work as one pod and that pod has a mission it could be to deliver one feature it could be to deliver one dimension uh, probably say make personalization strong or somebody might work on making the the gaming engines uh, stronger so that you can build out a lot more learning experiences so the company uh, is organized largely the tech product and the product development piece which includes content academic teams are organized as pods who come together for a specific mission stay together work on that problem set and be very proud of that culture because that's very empowering multiple zero to one ideas they almost work like a hackathon team constantly coming up with fresh ideas and being able to say okay this is what i'm looking to drive and these are the various ideas that we have they work with students very closely right because we are very cognizant of the fact that we're building for a very transformative age group uh, for your four year olds to 18 year olds right the life changes and the taste change dramatically in that span of time so we also have a user research team and a way for each of these pods to work closely with students in terms of coming up with ideas to be able to test out their ideas early enough and figure out whether it's got some potential or it needs to be tweaked or needs to be dropped and that is how the teams kind of come up with fresh ideas and then they kind of blessed and they kind of continue on that mission and deliver that and adding it to a, as a new product line or adding it as an element within an existing product line so that's been one way in terms of we've been uh, able to kind of really kind of drive very self empowered teams and that's really worked well for us um could you just repeat what was the second part of your yeah, question just, yeah no no i was just saying the the work that you do you could put that in the context of the biggest problems that you sure. see today uh, in sure. learning and education right so so once you can kind of see that we organize the sports uh, some of these sports are for, targeted towards some of the largest problems that we need to kind of solve right 
while we have audiences across the world, one part of the team, one part, a specific part is always focused on ensuring that we're reliable, we're stable, we can deliver content experiences. Learning experiences have to be absolutely smooth and nice and irrespective of the sort of networks, a lot of you know, where they access the content from, it needs to be absolutely reliable, delivered seamless fashion, right? So that's like a hygiene part of, uh, and it's a significantly large uh, engineering problem as well, because not only do we do asynchronous content, we also do a lot of live classes as well, and they all kind of mesh together. So being able to do this in a smooth enough fashion without any break in the learning experience for them, especially in a country like India, where uh, sometimes networks can get flaky and there might be subpar experiences that might end up happening if we do not take care, that's a, one part of an engineering problem and a product set that we can do solve with. Uh, the second I can think of uh, would be about being able to imagine what sort of new experiences need to be crafted out. Our interactive questions, the way that we kind of creating game-based learning or simulations where students can not only do uh, learn by seeing, but they're also doing learn by doing, right? That is a powerful dimension where we are getting them to build out very simple engines and uh, gaming engines and learning engines, which will help students really learn by doing where they can, for example, they're learning a specific concept, uh, which could be optics in physics, or it could be say about um, plants and environment, uh, or that in certain other topics, how can they really understand this by not being just told what the rules of the game are, but to really kind of put these elements together and figure out whether they can really understand how the interplay of the various pieces happen. Now that is being built out in a very scalable fashion. And hence, uh, that is a new dimension that we have kind of added to our overall uh, learning content. So there is a game for that's kind of working entirely on that. And then we're using not just uh, simple digital experiences. We're using computer vision. We're using fair amount of uh, uh, understanding of how game design has to be crafted out and to mesh digital experiences together, physical and digital experiences coming together. And you would see that lot happening for our younger age groups as well. Uh, one of the other large problems that is relevant for the edtech sector in the next um, you know, decade as well is how do you personalize? What does it really mean to personalize the learn journey for students? And they come from various backgrounds. They have different starting points and they have you know, different destinations that they can kind of go towards in a given span of time. So what's the best part? What, how do they learn? Are they visual learners? Are they experiential learners? So what should be the journey? What should be the content recommendations for them? And uh, how should they be motivated and guided to be able to kind of you know do the next step optimally, right? So a large part of the team also spends a lot of their effort in terms of being able to kind of do that really well, personalization. Now, these are just two or three of the last problems that we're looking to solve. But if I were to get a list down, there's a long list of foundational problems that have to be targeted and solved by various parts to be able to deliver all the experiences that we're delivering as of today. Hmm. Give us one example of what you mean by a foundational problem. Right. So like, let's take the case of uh, personalization itself. And because that's very close to heart, um, students learn in, in different ways, right? And uh, how do you kind of come by uh, a student who's come to the platform and can try to understand where he or she stands in a learning curve, right? So what we've done with our entire uh, ecosystem is that all of the concepts have been mapped to what we call a knowledge graph, right? So if you're learning math, you're learning physics, any subject, it's a universal knowledge graph, which tells you if you have mastered this topic, you have a higher propensity to master some other topic because it's related, right? That's the, so that's the relationship with, between various concepts and um, how you a child should navigate through that is what forms the knowledge graph. Now, irrespective of your syllabus, you all students are going through this knowledge graph. They're trying to kind of master various concepts out there. Now, each child is different. They might understand uh, a specific concept a little quickly because of 
whatever past uh, they have in terms of how the teacher taught them or how their natural understanding of their cognitive bias or benefits that they have. But how do you glean that information? So we kind of ask them the right questions, decipher very quickly where they kind of stand, build out a learning profile for this child, and then we use the learning profile to deliver the next learning recommendation. Say, so me and you could be starting off a learn journey and you, you might be mastering the concepts really well. And the knowledge graph and the learning profile that's been defined for you, you know, is, is very well-versed with who you are and how you're learning concepts and might understand that I have specific challenges. So the path for you and path for me might, uh, for, might deviate and I might need more hand-holding. So the system is intelligent enough to kind of understand that. We use a fair amount of um, uh, intelligence there to be able to kind of figure out what the child's learning gaps are and then be able to kind of give them the right crutches, the right mechanisms to address those specific learning gaps. And then also we figure out, okay, what would engage the child? Would the child really be able to understand this concept by being able to get a video which you know talks about the specific concept or can we uh, marry that with a learning uh, simulation which will help the child really kind of cognitively understand that even stronger? And if so, after that, how do we validate the child is really kind of master that or not? That itself is a foundational problem in, in the educational space. How can you go that deep, right? Because then you're really going at an individual level of personalization. And to be able to craft out all of the content pieces and your backend systems to be do that, uh, to be able to do that really well is not an easy job at all, right? So that's one of the foundational uh, problems that we will continue solving uh, over the next, um, you know, whatever period of time uh, that um, stays in focus. Mm. Uh Today, there's a lot of excitement uh, over the use of uh, artificial intelligence in many uh, sectors. Uh, can you give us a sense of how you're already using AI at Baijus and uh, uh, what you would, uh, what you're planning to do in, uh, you know, in the coming quarters and years? Yeah, I'll touch upon a couple of those uh, pieces. Um, one I touched upon earlier itself, like I said, the, the personalization piece, uh, there has to be intelligence to kind of understand what the learning footprint or um, you know blueprint for every single child is and to be able to understand that we have a knowledge graph we have means to understand um, you know what the child is strong and weak in and hence what the child should go through next and that's an evolving algorithm that's something that we kind of spend a lot of time and effort in terms of being able to tweak and understand uh, and to kind of help it grow over a span of time right so personalization uh, can be done really well and we do personalization at least in the tech sector personalization used to be just uh, you know, question level personalization, where they say that, okay, you answer these questions, what's the next question that you need to kind of answer, right? So, but what we do is learning personalization, because not only do we understand where you stand, the diagnostics around it, and what sort of tests and questions need to be kind of thrown at you, but also to understand, okay, if there is a learning gap, how do we correct it? And because of the large volume of content that we have in different formats, the, the engine also develops the intelligence to say, okay, this child could respond and will respond to these sort of formats. So that's one large area in which we use AI and will continue using AI over the next um, couple of decades uh, as it evolves. Uh, other interesting pieces that we're doing, some pieces around is the computer vision and the intelligence in terms of being able to understand how digital experiences can be built out, right? So to be able to detect um, you know, the worksheets, uh, physical worksheet, worksheets that they can attempt questions on, to be able to give them real-time guidance out there, understanding, okay, how they're uh, solving the specific thing on their um, worksheet. Or this could be um, a textbook that is open in front of them and they need support for that. So to be able to clean out that insight and to be able to kind of then give them a learn path which solves for, okay, well, you have this open right now, this is what you're looking to learn from your textbook, but here is an online journey to be able to tackle and help you kind of understand this in a lot more immersive fashion. 
So these are just a couple of use cases where we're using AI and there are a lot more use cases um, that where AI comes by in a very subtle fashion to be able to make the learning impact a lot more on the path. Hmm. Uh, just to uh, throw that forward and as we start to wrap up, uh, in, in the future, if you throw the story forward, I don't know, five years, 10 years, do you see, uh, uh, do you see the way uh, people learn, uh, change and adapt to uh, the new technologies that emerge? Or do you see uh, technologies that will uh, enhance the most natural ways in which uh, people learn? Yeah, I think very interesting question, Hari, and I would say it's certainly the latter. Uh, the way that we have been thinking about it is, is uh, not to force fit how uh, you know, students need to learn to the way that we think about using technology, not at all, right? So we have always been on the side of students and we've understood that technology and the way that we conceptualize products have to go and nudge towards what is the most intuitive and natural way for you know, children to learn. And children at two-year-olds, three-year-olds are natural learners and they have curiosity and they, they have a love for learning. They want to know more. And, and, and if you can tweak something to kind of really, you know, be able to kind of get them at a personal level interested in something, they respond to that. So those are very natural, intuitive learning patterns that all of us are blessed with as we are born. The idea is, can we use technology and all of the content formats and, and the personalization and the computer vision and the AI and the AR that we kind of are using to be able to fit into that? Now, they are a mobile-first audience. They are a technology-first audience. So they're very aware of these uh, technology uh, levers and tools which come by. And that's how they kind of experience life itself. So what we're looking to do is not to bend them to our vision, but largely to use the, the tools and the technological advances that uh, exist and adapting it in the right way for edtech because you can use technology and just you know put it in, put it into edtech and probably uh, you know it really does not matter because the learning outcome of the pedagogy does not get impacted. So what we're doing is use technology in the right fashion, use gamification in the right fashion, so as to drive natural learning experiences for our students. And there our students are wonderful benefactors because they come by and tell us what is intuitive to them and they can tell you very clearly the feedback is super polar right so they would come by and tell you that they really like this they don't like this or this is working for them and this is not working for them and that's very evident right so that way we have been you know helping um and working with kids where they've been helping us to become um, you know function as co-creators in the whole learning exercise so we'll use technology to make natural learning experiences and we will try to blend it into how best we can to make it more intuitive and um, seamless for however they wish to learn Excellent. Uh, I leave it there, Ranjit. Uh, very insightful conversation. Uh, thank you again for making time for this. And I certainly hope to keep the conversation going. Thanks, Ari. It's been a lovely talk. Thanks so much. That was Ranjit Radhakrishnan. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.